In the Know with Bernstein Research. Welcome to In the Know with Bernstein Research. In this series, we discuss investment controversies together with what is top of mind and in the news with Bernstein's research analysts who are in the know. Our disclosures can be found at the end of this and every episode. I am Diana Wood from Bernstein's Boston office, and this episode features our senior U.S. SNIDCAP software analyst, Peter Weed from New York. Armed with an incredible amount of industry knowledge, Peter will talk to us about the world of cybersecurity, what it is, why we need it, and what the growth potential is for this topical subsector of technology, along with who the winners are in this space. So welcome, Peter. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Glad we could have the conversation. So it's such a pleasure to have you specifically with us here today, given your background. Before joining Bernstein, you had spent time in a number of different places, namely McKinsey, where you were there for about a dozen years. You were a product manager at Microsoft. You've basically been in and around the enterprise software world since the 90s. So there seems to be no better person to talk about this space. And between company-wide hacks that make the news and commercials for identity theft and geopolitical threats, why are we talking about cybersecurity? It's something that probably everybody hears about, but may not fully understand like the severity of what's going on. I mean, you look at anything from the World Economic Forum, who points out that you know cybersecurity threats are you know top ten issues that they are seeing over the next decade, to reports by you know individual vendors out there. Everybody from IBM who puts out a really great security report, or or even telcos like Verizon, each of them talking about the millions of dollars of impact that large enterprises are seeing and the trillions of dollars associated with lost profit and economic vitality that are currently happening and expected to only accelerate going forward. So clearly there's a lot at stake. So what is, in your words, what is cybersecurity? For many kind of more consumer-oriented things, we know it even on our computers and our phones. I mean, it's trying to prevent viruses coming in there. It's trying to prevent somebody impersonating you, stealing your credit card. That's like on a very personal basis. And if you scale that up to a large enterprise, they have many of the same challenges. They've got not only their their money that they're trying to protect, so if they're moving that around, making sure that people can't steal it or emulate customers that are trying to buy from them, that they can steal a product and not end up paying for it. But the data that resides in an organization is incredibly important. And protecting that data and preventing people from getting access to it that are not allowed to is critical. And you could say, well, it's just a technical problem. It's like, oh, there's a bug in the system that allows you to come in and get access that you're not allowed to. There's a lot of reports out there that suggest somewhere between like 80 to 90% of hacking, right, which is like bad people getting access to things that they're not allowed to actually is not technical. It's what you would call social engineering or spoofing, which is like emulating somebody else. You know, these are ways of getting in through uh, human actions, whether or not it's an employee doing things that they shouldn't be doing or people from the outside acting like they should have access and, you know, a support person giving them a login that doesn't belong. 
So finding these things isn't just about protecting the technology itself and making sure that there isn't a bug and that it's been updated, but it's literally having to watch for the patterns of somebody doing something that's weird and having that raise a red flag and for people to then be able to react to that because you wouldn't have noticed that somebody who's in the system probably shouldn't be there if you can't tell that the actions that they are taking are malicious. And so you try to prevent people from getting in. And if they do get in, try to identify that they are doing something and stop them if you missed preventing them getting in in the first place. It's interesting. I know that we have sort of annual compliance tutorials that we have to take, and we naturally at Bernstein have those related to cybersecurity, which I always do, but perhaps do a little bit faster now because I had my own identity stolen. I started getting text messages from my bank that someone was opening up a line of credit. And then I think now three different times have had credit cards sent to me with a, not Diana Wood on the title, but to my address, but a fake name of just someone who would happen to steal my identity, I assume online. So it's very topical for folks. Yes, that's right. And anything that you're seeing as a person, same issues scaled up for a large organization, right? Because there's so much money there. If they can take advantage of that, either because they can have ransomware attacks, you know, like taking things that the organization doesn't want out of their organization and getting paid to give it back or preventing the organization from accessing systems and paying to get it back to like literally stealing money. You know, those are things that individuals and large organizations face. Yep. Absolutely. So it sounds like it's not surprising to hear that cybersecurity is one of the fastest growing sub-segments, and it's sort of benefiting in various ways from cloud migration and digital transformation. But before we dig into cybersecurity, can you explain to the listeners what the cloud is and sort of how it impacts this space? Yeah. And, and you know, I guess this is another one of these buzzwords we hear and why should we care about it? The way to think about cybersecurity is just kind of like you again in your, your personal life. As you add new technology and new types of technology, it also causes you to have to evolve the types of cybersecurity actions that, that you take. And so cloud is a more recent technology that's being adopted by enterprises over the last kind of 10, 15 years predominantly. And the first version of this was really about if you were an enterprise before you had cloud, you were probably running your software yourself in your organization. So if you have your email server or you are running where you're storing your data or where your finance systems were in an organization, you know, that was something that you ran yourself on your own hardware and own software internal to the organization. And cloud had this promise to say, well, is what you're best at most effective at, you know, running all of that software and hardware? And if the answer is no, you know, maybe we give that to Microsoft and Azure, their product, or Amazon and AWS, you know, somebody who can host it for you that it's a best practice that they deal with. Perhaps they can do it a lot both more cost-effectively and securely than you might be able to do yourself. So move those things out of your own data center, put them in something that's hosted by somebody else. And that's what, when we think of cloud, it's a lot of that. Now, there's a first version of cloud that we might call hybrid, where you're still running some of your own data center and you're putting some things into the public cloud. That's this idea of kind of somewhere in between. And then there's kind of a 
a second iteration of cloud that you might call, say, cloud native, which, you know, in that first one, you aren't really changing your applications. You're just changing where they sit and run. But there are some different ways that you might write your applications if you knew they were going to operate directly from within a cloud. And it's, you might have heard buzzwords like microservice architecture. It's this idea that you could write an application that was designed to be in the cloud and take advantage of, of that. Well, cybersecurity and the reason that we're talking about cloud in this situation is if you started and were running on your own premise, your servers, what you have to install from a security standpoint is different than when you start to put some of those things outside of your company. You're putting this where Microsoft exists and has their data and servers transmitted over the public internet, usually. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to deal with that new security change where these things aren't all inside your organization. And how do you secure that? You may have even heard of buzzwords like Firewalls, right? Firewalls were this idea that we could put protection around our organization and prevent people coming inside of it. Well, what happens if you put your data and applications outside of your organization? This concept of firewalls has to change. It has to now support and surround things that are not sitting inside your organization, but are now sitting outside of it as well. And then you've got other complexities, right? You're giving access not just to people that are sitting like in your your main office. But what if you have like a branch office or you're a retailer and you've got local retail stores? Like, how do you give access to the people that are remote from like your your headquarters or or where the, the storage is and transmit that information over the internet and not have some problem come in between? And so it's these levels of complexity that we start to add over time that create new opportunities for new security and security vendors to come in and support the new things that we're doing doesn't necessarily shut off the old things, but those old things are not growing as much. And so it's a lot of these new directions that we're taking technology that create a lot of the growth and the opportunities looking forward. So what I understand it to be is in a very small example, let's say like some gentleman owns like a bike shop and he does all of his check-in and check-out and how commerce he does on like a software system that sits like at a server somewhere, let's pretend it's in the hardware in his computer at his actual store. And as he gets bigger and bigger and expands, maybe gets more locations, he needs to start outsourcing that data, that software, and put it into a cloud. So, you know, maybe he had different logins that were unique to the users that they use kind of on-premise. Now, everything gets put outsourced into a cloud. So it sounds like new passwords, I'm simplifying it, new safety protocols, new things like that. You're moving it to a different, into sort of a public sphere. So it sounds like that creates opportunity, but challenges as well. 40 years ago, the way that they would have taken payment, probably there's a bunch of it that was in cash, but they were taking credit cards and you would have something called a point of sale terminal that was perhaps from a company like NCR, for instance, that would provide that thing sitting, you know, there and it would dial in over the, even a phone line to, to get transmission. Over time, they've changed. They've gone from having very little technology and, and a lot of that just being hardwired into today, you know, you're, you're going to see people that are using Square or some other type of local terminal that's really connected over the internet to a whole bunch of software that's on the back end. And as a merchant, 
they give you a lot of information around all the transactions that have gone on hosted not locally on your personal computer, but something that you're accessing over like a web interface to go see all the transactions. And your bank is dealing with that. You're engaging with your bank remotely. You don't even have to go in and talk to them directly, but you're interfacing with them again over a web interface. And so it starts to cascade where so much of what we do around business, even in the small business context, is engaging through a web interface to either your partners like a bank or your purchasing system to your accounting systems, your, your tax folks, even ordering with other vendors. All of this stuff is now happening kind of over the internet and with software that you're not running on your local machine, but you're accessing remotely. You might use something like HubSpot which is something where a lot of marketing activities are done for small businesses. Well, these small businesses and large businesses all have very similar requirements. They may have some different vendors that they're using to get them done, but the security needs are going with the movement into kind of a that through the internet type delivery of software as opposed to running things that you've deployed locally on your, your personal computer or tablet device or whatever it is that you have. Okay. So it sounds like we've identified the issue, the problem, which is cyber hacking, let's call it for lack of a better word. And there's a need for security, increased security. And in the recent future, there's a migration from where that data is. It's either on site or it's being moved to the cloud. So that's kind of a shift. You recently put together a piece where you talk about a framework for companies that are successful in this sphere and the players' names. And there are some that are publicly traded, there are some that are private. But could you please explain to the listeners that don't have that kind of piece I'm thinking of in front of them, what that framework is for looking at successful companies and your scoring methodology for those? I think one of the things that we start with that's important context here is, you pointed this out, is this would appear to be a very attractive space. Not only is it benefiting from all of this migration from that technology going to cloud, which would kind of naturally draw in new spending, but you marry that with the increasing activity of threat actors and you put those two things together and you kind of get this double shot of tailwinds. And so it would appear to have a ton of growth. But when you actually look at the returns of investing in cybersecurity, it has often been challenging. So we, what we did is we took all the public market cybersecurity peer play vendors. Obviously, there are companies like Microsoft that have a really large and important cybersecurity business was inside it, but it's a little bit hard to peel that out on its own. So we looked at the the peer play companies that there's a few dozen of them in, that have been around since 2015. And we noticed that some of them have maintained growth and some of them have really kind of fallen off and, and started growing much slower. And we looked at what were the underlying characteristics that differed between those two groups of companies. And what we observed is number one, that cloud orientation is important. And the second is whether or not the company is what you might call a platform. And, you know, I think this is one of these overused words, but a way to think about a platform is that they've got some central value alongside which there's a lot of additional functionality that you might be able to add. And a customer would prefer to have 
one person, one software company to buy all that from, as opposed to buying five different products and trying to get them together. The platform is the one that was like intended for all those five pieces to work together. And then you would have this idea of best of breed, which is you bought all five alone. Well, it's just going to take you a lot more time and cost to manage those five things. So for a lot of companies, when they're buying software, that's not just cybersecurity, they like a platform so that they can actually save on the effort and cost of actually operating it. So platforms are very important. The third thing that we discovered is, and we'll call it kind of at the source, but some of the data and things that actually come in that allow you to identify if there are problems and remediate those problems, the data and access and where they are occurring. If you have a piece of software that's like one step removed from that and you have to take all of that data through something else, well, strategically, you obviously have somebody between you and where your value is. And so if that person in between is able to actually start to build cybersecurity, they can cut you out. And so there's a few of these types of characteristics that we identified that strongly indicate which businesses are continuing to grow quickly versus which ones are topping off. And that that was kind of the punchline of the work. That's really interesting to think about how you frame it. And I like how you talk about platform and just kind of fleshing that out, essentially, for people to visualize if you have sort of a bike company that just sells bikes, but a platform, the equivalent in software is they sell your bikes, they sell your helmets, Maybe they sell some Band-Aids in case you fall off your bike. They sell water bottles. It's one-stop shopping what you need for that specific activity of going on a bike. You need them all at the same time. So why don't you just get them from one place? Right. Okay, exactly. But pivoting just a bit, it's hard to talk about technology and not layer AI or generative AI into the conversation. I think Google Cloud just released a report with their outlook for 2024, and this was a key point of focus for them by... With generative AI, will that give threat actors the ability to launch a new wave of far more powerful and personalized, you know, social engineering attacks? Like, will this become a super tool, you think, for hackers? Or will this actually maybe help combat them more? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting with generative AI um, and just AI in general, because there's obviously broader applications of AI. I think there's kind of two sides of the question often, particularly in cybersecurity. You know, one half of it is, can you apply AI in the security tools themselves to become better? And then the other side is what you're talking about from the Google report, which gets into how about the bad actors, the ones that are actually attacking. And so maybe to, to start with that latter one, as you're alluding to, you know, I think there's a few different dimensions where people are worried, and that could create opportunity, obviously, for cybersecurity vendors. But one of those dimensions is, I mean, we see this all over the place people using generative AI to mimic somebody else. And if you look at some of the reports and in some of the documents we've published, 80 plus percent of cybersecurity issues today is not actually a technical fault. It's a human error. It's a human emulating somebody else or getting paid off and giving access to something that they shouldn't. And in this generative AI world, if you could mimic your boss, the head of IT, whoever it is, and call up a support person or email some system and deal with another human and they 
provide access because they think you are somebody that you're not, that's a huge concern. So obviously that has implications for everything from identity to multi-factor authentication to threat intelligence, trying to find people doing things that are weird in the system that they wouldn't expect from the actual person. And then the other side of it is, well, there are real technical faults. And yeah, only 20% or less of issues come from actual technical problems, bugs in the system that people are taking advantage of. But maybe that number goes up because of a couple of things. One is what if generative AI allows people, once a, a fault has been identified, these bad actors to take advantage of it much more quickly? People that may not be able to write code very well on their own can take advantage of co-pilots to write code that takes advantage of these exploits and they can more rapidly roll them out. And so that portion of the pie that has historically seemed small all of a sudden explodes. And so both of those are are pretty significant concerns and, and maybe parts of the tailwinds as organizations need to continue to spend on defense against these types of actions. And there's probably things that we haven't even imagined today. Now, the other side of it, right, that portion of it was the threat actors. There's also the question of what about using AI in the tools themselves? Can the tools become better? Can the defense become better? And there are aspects of it. Generative AI, certainly as an interface, could allow you know everything from summarization of, of insights and threat intelligence. It may allow less expert people to be using these tools. And remember, human talent is in great shortage around cybersecurity. And so if it can support some of those needs, it, it may be quite valuable. But Generative AI or LLMs are also just a small portion of AI. I mean, there's a lot of specialized AI that's being designed for other uses and is actually already deeply embedded in a lot of these technologies that are in the market. And so I think that it's a race on both sides, you know, both the threat actors trying to take advantage of them to attack more and the vendors themselves applying AI and tools to reduce the threat from the market. I have to say, I'm, I'm rooting for the defenders. I am hoping that they are able to adapt <laughs> fast enough. It's, I mean, as you know, it's constantly an evolving landscape. And I think that sort of maybe brings me to the next and last question. What are the next disruptions that are going to come within cybersecurity? What, what do you see on the horizon? Yeah, it's really fascinating. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of debates out there. And obviously, some of this AI stuff is, is part of that. If we look right now at a lot of the evolution that's been going on, technology itself has largely been evolving on two dimensions. One is kind of the overall network footprint that we're working in, right? Years ago, we were like within offices, didn't even have networks. And then we added office networks, and then the internet, and then the internet got more global. And so on that dimension, we've been adding a lot of functionality. And the other dimension is just modularity. So, you know, we went from like big mainframes to personal computers, to mobile phones, to internet of things. And that topology added another level of complexity. And, and right now, a lot of the 
innovation and successful cybersecurity companies have been applying kind of a network layer approach to everything from endpoint security to securing remote offices and these types of things. The question is, and and I've got several friends that are heads of products at major cybersecurity companies, you know, there's this wonder that whether or not we go back towards the browser itself being the front end of security. So today, to address a lot of problems, you actually address it on the data on its way to the browser. But if the browser itself can take over because the endpoints, whether or not we're working on a mobile phone or a personal computer, get powerful enough so that the overhead associated with running that code locally on these devices is not as much of an issue, it can become powerful for the end devices to start taking over. And so there's this browser-based security that, you know, it's probably not today, it's probably not tomorrow, but it's the type of thing by 2030, there's a lot of smart folks in the cybersecurity industry wonder whether or not that may be disruptive of the current kind of network-first approach to cybersecurity that we have today. Not to say that that goes away, but that a bunch of the value and success at defense actually resides again at the endpoint, which was kind of an approach that we had back in the 1990s and early 2000s. But like I said, we've been moving away from that You know, more recently to the network layer. Does it kind of come full circle back into the browser and we get more companies and value accruing there again? Well, this has been so wonderful, Peter. I feel like we could talk for another several hours, but thank you so much for joining us here today and being with us. No, I appreciate it. And look, cybersecurity is exciting. It hopefully is a little less scary, even though the history of investment would suggest that there might be a little bit of fear. Well, thank you again. You've been listening to In the Know with Bernstein Research. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to like or subscribe. In the Know with Bernstein Research. If you do not have access to Bernstein's research, you can find it at bernsteinresearch.com, where you can also find important disclosures that we encourage you to review. Bernstein has no obligation to provide any updates or changes at any time in the future. All references and or market forecasts are correct at the date of recording. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter and may not be the same as the views of Bernstein or its affiliates. Bernstein is not providing any financial, legal or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast and this should not be considered as investment advice. This podcast must not be copied, distributed, published or reproduced in whole or in part. None of us hold positions in any of the equities that we have discussed today.